that would have been so obnoxious if you Warning, the Captain Man Show is about to begin. If you're looking for a dull, feel-good religion, or clap your hands, sit around the campfire kumbaya, you've come to the wrong place. We are dealing with toxic levels of authentic masculinity. I would say good luck, but luck is for pagans. Welcome to the Catholic Command Show. We're on the Lord's team, the winning side, so raise your glass. Adam and Ann here, sitting with David Niles. We have Juan on the buttons this afternoon, and we are recording with a special guest, Father Gregory Pine. Thanks for hanging out with us. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Now, we haven't really talked about the theology of luck on this show before, but I actually think I made that, that whole intro like, and it says luck is for pagans, but doesn't Aquinas actually talk about the theology of luck, or like the understanding of luck and how it's actually not possibly paganist? Is that right? Yeah, so there's a place for it. <clears throat> Aristotle has kind of some, some wild thoughts about luck and fortune is how it's translated in the version that I read. But the basic idea is that you've got people who are doing things. And then sometimes when people do things, they kind of bump into each other and they're like, hey, man, why are you doing your thing over here? Because I'm doing my thing over here. And they're like crazy. Um, so to them, it seems like luck or it seems like fortune or chance. But um, when St. Thomas receives this text from Aristotle and interprets it, he goes, and same person sent both of those people to that spot. So call it Providence. But, you know, effectively, you're describing the same thing. He says, from our vantage, it seems like luck, fortune, chance. But uh, both of those things are going to a whatever a destination. They've got a, they've got a goal in mind, and as a result of which, it's not completely chaotic. And at the end of the day, it's providential. Adam and I are reading Dante's Inferno right now, and yep. that's one of the okay. things that Dante kind of it's not his innovation because you know Aquinas came before him, but uh, he he definitely makes that very clear that he kind of makes this brings this wheel of fortune or like the uh you know lady luck whoever you want to call it and turns her into an agent of divine providence yeah which is really cool yeah there's this so there's this example in aristotle that saint thomas picks up on and aristotle says you got you got one slave from the household who gets sent to the marketplace and he's just like buying things at whatever stall or vendor and then and then you've got this other slave from the same household who later goes to the marketplace and he's buying whatever from whatever stall or vendor. And the two of them just, you know, happen to meet each other. And St. Thomas, you know, reads this text and he goes, same master sent both guys to the same marketplace. Um, so, yeah, just uh, when you get the full context, you get a sense for God doing things and doing good things for the most part. I mean, always. No, always, yeah. Always, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. I was not shocked, I guess, that you actually had a good answer for that. But um, but that was something that we uh, I, I thought about just the other day. I was like, man, I should probably change that because actually luck. Oh, actually, I guess luck is for pagans. I mean, Aristotle was a pagan, just a poor one at that, right? Or a good one, depending on I mean, he would, your point of view. Yeah. 
I guess so. Okay, but, but that's anyway. not what we're talking about. That, yeah, we'll that talk about be, that later. That would not be prudent for us to talk about this 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 Whoa. afternoon. Okay, so what we're going to talk about is prudence. Uh, with your new book, Father, remind, remind me of the title again. You ready for this? Yes. <clears throat> it's called Prudence. But it has to have a subtitle. Like it every book these days have a well, You know what? Yeah. Don't. Don't give it a subtitle. <laughs> Just be like Prudence by Father Gregory Pine. <laughs> yeah, I would love to do that. Um, but it has a subtitle and it's already printed. So okay, the last well, and the lack. At least the first 5,000 copies will bear this subtitle. So prudence, choose confidently, live boldly. That's the idea. So it's like, it's like a title, and then instead of a subtitle, it's like an exhortation. So I guess we got that going for us, which is nice. I think. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but wouldn't it be weird, though, if we had uh, – if back in the day they used to put subtitles in books? Like, what are, like Summa mm. Theologica – I don't know what the subtitle would be. What would the subtitle be of the Summa? Like a better yeah. everything is an, all an introduction of theology for beginners or something. Right. Yep. If you if you need introducing to theology after being introduced to classic literature and philosophy for the past thirteen years, then this is the book for you. Exclamation point. <laughs> Gotta yeah. have the exclamation point. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. So, but so let's talk about let's talk about prudence. Uh, first question. Is, yeah. the pr- is prudence found in the will or like in the intellect? This, this is a great question. It's an excellent question. Um, <clears throat> so it's found in the intellect, but it's strange in that unlike other intellectual virtues, it does a lot of talking with virtues which live in the will. So, you know, your main division is between cognition and appetite. And when you talk about virtues, they either live in cognition or appetite. And you can break out cognition into intellectual cognition and sense cognition. So that'd be the intellect or the senses. But the senses don't actually need virtues because they're doing just fine. And then you break out appetite into intellectual appetite and sense appetite. So you got will and then like the passions or the emotions. And both of those actually get virtues. So three main places in which virtues live. And when we, tar- when we talk about the cardinal virtues, the four cardinal virtues, you have prudence, justice, fortitude and temperance and that gives you a nice little explanation as it were of you know like the kind of principal virtues which would have been noble to men before the coming of christ as they apply to each of those powers so prudence lives in the intellect and then justice lives in the will and then fortitude and temperance live in the sense appetite or emotions passions the different aspects of it so fortitude is for difficult things and then temperance is for not so difficult things but Prudence is always in conversation with justice, fortitude, and temperance because justice, fortitude, and temperance are all focused on human ends like food, drink, sexual intercourse, family life, living in society, knowing the truth about God, etc. Okay, so they're, they're the types of kind of like, what would you say? The, the appetites provide us with the moral energy to do anything worthwhile because they fix our attention on those things and they direct us to those things. Prudence is about choosing the means to those ends. It's about kind of ordering those different pursuits and making it such that we go about them in a way that leads to human flourishing and our integration as a person. So, (laughs) like, sometimes in my own life, I'll do things that I, it's like, okay, I think I'm going to try to be prudent here. But I don't figure out if it's prudent or not until later. 
you know, mm-hmm. like, let's see how well it goes, you know? And so yeah. there's kind of a paradox here. Um, in order to cultivate the virtue of prudence, does one need to act imprudently? Mm. So I think in order to cultivate the virtue of prudence, one needs to act. All right. And insofar as you act, you risk acting imprudently. But provided that you're always kind of testing your different theses about reality against reality, and you're learning, right, you're growing, you're challenging, as it were, then you're going to grow in prudence. So like the big point of this book is act, all right? It's for your good, rather than sit and think about forever and ever, and then die of analysis paralysis. Because I think that's how a lot of people treat prudence. And part of it, I think, comes, it comes from an anxiety about the consequences of our choices, because we think about ourselves as like choosing machines who are responsible for optimizing and maximizing, but we're not. We're just responsible for living well. And uh, living well will look different depending on who you are and what you're about. Uh, but it's, it's enough for you to try to make a good choice which reflects a virtuous desire, right? And which sees that virtuous desire through. So this is like the, the Mother Teresa thing. It's for us to be faithful. I mean, if we're successful, that's a bonus, but it's not the point. That's very good. I do think that the, like a constant desire or like push towards efficiency, I find it very, just very sinister. You know, like mm. I, I do love efficiency. They're like, there's something very beautiful about it, but for its own sake, it just turns like evil and I hate it. You know, there would never be a day of rest. God would never have desired that for us if he wanted us to be perfectly efficient and product, you know, like ultimately productive. So it, I think that's very good. Yeah. And I'm thinking too, like <clears throat> the way that St. Thomas talks about how Christ lived, he's like fascinating. We don't him see we don't see him engaged in the most like terrible of penances or the strictest of fasts. You know, like he carries around a little purse, so he doesn't even observe the strictest of poverty. And he's like, why? Well, because Christ came to save us, specifically by living, as it were, a redeemed life. Not that he needed redemption, but mm-hmm. he shows us what the divine life looks like in our human nature, so as to communicate to us. So if Christ were always about extremes. If we were always about the optimizing and maximizing of ascetical practices or, you know, spiritual heights, then it would, for us as Christians, be a kind of terrible prospect to follow Jesus. (laughs) Holy smoke. All right. So step one, be baptized. Step two, never eat again. Step three, you know, just commission your funeral mass. Yeah. Wait, (laughs) wait for about 10 days and that'll be it. (laughs) Be glorious. (laughs) Exactly. And not a lot of Christians. Can't figure out why. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah. That Okay, so that, yeah, that makes sense. Um, we're about to come up on a break, so I, but I wanted to ask, so St. Ambrose talked about how uh, it doesn't matter if if there's a just man, you know, if a just society or just man, if he doesn't, if he's not prudent, doesn't matter. So mm-hmm. it's, so I guess it's kind of like what you were saying, that prudence governs all the other cardinal virtues, correct? It, it does indeed. You can think about him as like... <clears throat> The passions uh, and the will, they provide us with the moral energy. They provide us with the moral get up and go. But without prudence, they're blind. And as a result of which, they end up being disorderly and chaotic. So it's for prudence to order them. It's for prudence to govern them. It's for prudence to direct them to a human, integrated, holistic goal. Sweet. Okay, so we're here with Father Gregory Pine. Uh, We'll be right back talking about prudence. 
Hey, I'm Adam Minahan, and this is David Niles from The Catholic Man Show. And we are so excited because we are going on pilgrimage to Ireland. We're going this September, September 15th through the 24th. We're going to go to some amazing Catholic places in the country. As you know, the Catholic tradition in Ireland is so deep and rich. And while we're there, we're also going to be visiting some distilleries, if you can even imagine that, you know. Us, the Catholic Man Show. So we're going on basically a <laughs> cathedral and distillery pilgrimage to Ireland. It's going to be awesome. And, and because we're going on a, a distillery tours that are not typical for the tourist, Dave, we're not taking a bunch of people. We're not taking 60 people. We're not taking 50 people. We're capping this off at 30 people because we want to be able to That's have it. We're, we want it to be intimate. We want it to be able to uh, go to places that normal tourists don't get a chance to go to. Uh, so... Go to selectinternationaltours.com slash catholicmanshow for more information. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles. Here with Adam Minahan, our special guest, our special guest Father Gregory Pine, all the way from Switzerland. Yeah, so uh, thank you for taking all... the time to be here, Father. Okay. Hey, it's my joy. So I only had to travel 5,500 miles by digital communication, but it was worth it. And you do it so impressively that I just <laughs> can't even believe it. It's amazing. <laughs> um, thank you. So, we're, so uh, we're talking about prudence, uh, you know, and just this idea that prudence is govern. It's this governing thing. Uh, you know, it's often referred to as the charioteer of the of the virtues. My question is, is it even? Po- Let's say hypothetically, that mm. we're just going to get rid of prudence. It doesn't exist anymore. Is it possible to have another virtue without prudence? If prudence doesn't exist, so, do any vir- does any virtue exist? That is a great question. And Aristotle says no. And then St. Thomas says no, too. And for similar reasons. Aristotle focuses actually on prudence in this conversation, whereas St. Thomas focuses more on charity. And I think for Christians, the charity argument makes more sense. And St. Thomas here is drawing on St. Augustine. And St. Augustine says, if you don't have charity, what seem to be virtues, like the other virtues that you have, are but splendid vices, which is a pretty savage judgment on uh, the virtuous heathen. Because what he's saying is, if you don't have the love of God, the love of neighbor animating all of your virtuous efforts, right, then then they're kind of hollow, right? They're empty because they don't actually attain to their full grandeur, they don't attain to their full scope. Now, thinking about this in terms of prudence, Aristotle says, <clears throat> if you don't have prudence, uh, effectively, you have no coordination among the virtues, and then you just incline towards all kinds of goods, but without a real sense for where they fit in the human whole. So, for example, all right, let's say that I have, whatever, like a, a modicum of self-control, and of something resembling bravery, and maybe I have a I have a some sense of what belongs to other people and how I ought to comport myself. <clears throat> but if I don't have prudence, I'm not going to be able to like draw those things together in a synthetic way. So let's say that I am walking to a diner, and I am looking forward to getting a Reuben because I'm mm. from the East Coast, and that's just that's just what you do. Mm. Uh, And let's say that recently a friend lent me $10 because I am a mooch. And if I ever have an opportunity to ask somebody for money, I do because it's better that way. Why spend your own money when you can spend other people's money? Um, Works for the government. I am (laughs) walking. 
Oh yeah, that's a great point. <clears throat> um, I'm walking to this so diner far. and so I see my friend in front of the diner arguing with a police officer, and the police officer is saying, "If you don't move your car, right, then you have to like, then I'm going to tow it." And he's like, "All right, but I have to do this thing at this hospital." And I'll be right out. And he's like, dude, you have to pay the parking meter. And he's like, but I don't have the money. And he's like, then I have no choice but to tow your vehicle. And then you're going to have to pay to get it out of the pound. And I'm like overhearing this whole conversation as I'm like slinking in the side door of the diner. Because what am I thinking? I'm thinking, listen, I really, really want to eat this Reuben. The thought of going home and making myself lunch, which will be infinitely inferior, is just oppressive. Um, and truth mm. be told... I mean, like, whether I give him back $10 now or later, it's, yeah, okay. So, because I don't, like, pull these different desires together and I don't see them in an orderly fashion, I'm not going to act out of them in a way that's genuinely virtuous, right? But if I have prudence, which, like, kind of pulls my life together and focuses me on the moral value that is present, you know, like, in living technicolor, then I'm going to be able to marshal those different virtues. You know, I'm going to be able to say, all right, like temperance, sweetheart. Not that I refer to myself as sweetheart, but if I were to <laughs> refer to myself as sweetheart, I would say Hypothetically speaking. Yeah, hypothetically speaking. It's like, chief, you were assigned in Switzerland for three years and you didn't have a single bite of a Reuben sandwich. You made it out alive. You're going to make it out alive today. It's like, Bleh. and then you're like, and also when you go home, you're just going to be able to get some lunch meat and then just throw it on a thing and it's going to be fine because you eat terribly every midday meal. It's like, that's true too. And it's like, and also it's his $10. And I'd be like, okay, great point. Because prudence is able to pull those things together and then marshal those moral energies on their true end. And so I, you know, I give him the 10 bucks. He pays the parking. He gets the kidney transplant. Everyone leaves happy. I didn't mention that. It was a kidney transplant. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, like, I didn't realize. Oh, it's, like, a, it's a kidney transplant. Yeah. Go ahead and tow the car. You know, like, <laughs> just tow it. I, <laughs> Time is of the essence. Right. You think I care about my car? I, <laughs> my kidneys are going out. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man. Okay. Okay. So, so in order to grow in prudence, you got to have the, one of the awesome things whenever I started reading Aquinas was I realized there was such a thing as sub virtues. I did not realize mm. there were sub virtues, but then like I started reading Aquinas and then read P Peeper and I started realizing, oh my gosh, there are sub virtues, which are awesome. Uh, everything's a sub virtue. Almost everything. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> so Turns what out the, like that's almost all there are, you know, yeah. there's like charity and then sub virtues. <laughs> so, uh, so what are, what, what are the sub virtues that fall under prudence? I put you on the spot there. I don't know if you probably, you probably do know this. Exhaustive right. list. If you, if you can, Dude, let's yeah. kick it. Let's yeah. do it. So St. Thomas lists, lists three different kinds of parts. He lists subjective parts, quasi potential parts and integral parts. Subjective parts are like species of the virtue. So in the case of prudence, that'd be like, what he calls military prudence, which would be like the prudence of a general. What he calls economic prudence or household prudence would be like the prudence of a mother or father. Uh, then what he calls political prudence or renative prudence, which would be of the populace or of the leader in the context of the body politic. So those would be the species of prudence. Quasi-potential parts, they're like prudence, but they are not quite the fullness thereof. So they're kind of uh, they're like prudence, but for specific times and places. Um, and he lists these according to their Greek names, which are Sinesis, Nome, and what is the other one? Eobulia. I listed those out of order and I'm embarrassed and I will do proper penance later. All right. Okay. And then he goes to the quasi or goes to the integral parts, which are like, 
the things that when you take them all together, they make up prudence. And there are eight of them, which are docility, memory, understanding, reason, shrewdness, foresight, caution, and circumspection. Boom. Millions nice. of America's youth. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so uh, does one play a bigger... Okay, obviously, you, you just kind of laid out the species, but so is one more... Of the three species, is one more important than the other? So St. Thomas spends a lot of time talking about the integral parts in, in the context of prudence. <clears throat> it seems that he's really focused on the integral parts. And um, he, he divides them like five and three. He says five of them concern knowing and then five of them concern commanding because he breaks the, uh, the kind of act of prudence into three main parts. So counsel, judgment, and then command. So he says the first five concern counsel and judgment. Then the last three concern command. And he thinks it's true of prudence that prudence is just the virtue which commands because it's the, it's the virtue which perfects our use of practical reason. It's practical wisdom. So it's true of prudence that it actually makes our efficacious desires embodied. You know, it like brings them to fruition. It actually expresses them in real time. And so St. Thomas does a lot of, you know, describing to mine that insight and to kind of bring it before his reader's eyes. So he has a lot of beautiful things to say. I will focus on one, ready? Shrewdness. Shrewdness is the capacity to make good snap judgments, which I think is cool because when a lot of people think about prudence, they think about endlessly thinking. But he's like, no, the point of prudence is to act well, all right? And sometimes it might be required of you to act well with little forewarning, like your plane's going down. How are you going to give general absolution to everyone there? Which I know is a question that both of you think about with great frequency. Um, so I'm like, okay, I need to get them to acknowledge the fact that this is the sacrament of confession and to make some gesture with respect to sin. And then I need to like do this all in a way that is audible on a double decker plane. It's like, this is going to be awesome. So I need to be able to make that judgment real quick. And there's a part of prudence, which perfects that movement. Okay. How a double decker plane really complicates. <laughs> it does. I mean, it's like, you can't just yeah. yell anymore. No, you need, like, you gotta go over the intercom. Yeah, intercom. Exactly. You don't even need permission. You just, that's you just, just to set things up. Intercom just to set things up, and then you have to do the actual like line of sight. So you got to get up the stairs. It's going to be tough, oh. but you're going to do it. Yeah, you're going to do it. Yeah, eight you can. You got, like eight seconds. Yeah. Tops. You just hope that Denzel Washington is flying the plane and he hasn't <laughs> had too much cocaine. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, if he's, if he's flying the plane, you don't even need to worry about it. It'll be fine. Great point. Yeah. That's a great point. So um, within uh, prudence, there's like this element, you know, kind of like what you're just saying. Oh, people think about it. It's like overthinkings, you know, and, you know, you go and you get advice. Um, where is the mean between these two? You know, like, or right, I'm going to spend time in thought versus action. And I know it's going to be different in, in all the different scenarios, but how, how does one know? what to where the mean is you know so that they can try to put themselves in it yeah <clears throat> i think one of the big things or one of the big focuses is to shine the light on the significance of the whole of our moral lives so a lot of people because they only think of big decisions as morally significant decisions they tend to attribute way too much importance to them um but i want to broaden that horizon and say all of our decisions are morally significant decisions like oftentimes converting is a matter of, you know, just being faithful to prayer for however many minutes a day. It's not like 
climbing to the top of a mountain so as to make, you know, that Marian pilgrimage, which you promised to St. Joseph in 19, whatever, 84. Um, what am I doing? Um, it was a good year. I, think I heard. That, I heard that was a good yeah, year. Nice. Okay. Um, so I think that if we, if we see our lives as morally significant kind of through and through that, that, that helps. Um, not in the sense that we should agonize over all decisions, but that we should see all decisions as somehow contributing to our flourishing as a human person. Because I think like when people leave the faith, it's, it's typically not because they're like, I was, you know, giving arguments as to the existence of God and I realized it failed. And so I left in a huff. It's like, no, it's like, it's usually like the way that people don't renew their subscription for a magazine. They're like, eh. you know, you it's like you just stop it. reading it with the same... Yeah, you stop reading it with the same frequency and then you're not as convinced that you need it in your life and then you just don't renew, even after they send you like seven of those little postcards. Um, so I think that first thing is, is, is to have a sense of investment in your own life and an appreciation for the worth of your agency. Whether you're choosing to brush your teeth in the morning or like, for instance, the hot water is out in my house right now. Like, will I take a shower tomorrow morning? Open question. Hard to say. Am yeah. I a baby? Absolutely. Um, Okay, so and hold then, on. Let, let, let's let's pick up on the other side of the break because we just we're hitting a break. We'll be right back. Hey guys, David Niles here. For those of you who don't know, for my day job, I'm a financial advisor. So I know firsthand how difficult investing can be. That's why I was so excited when we met Mark Lozano, founder and owner of Christ Centered Capital. Mark's mission is to provide in-depth research and analysis on which companies and organizations align with Christian values and which ones don't. Of course, he's also seeking to provide investment recommendations and stock picks that have financial potential and are also aligned with Christian values. What I really love about what Mark is doing is that he's completely transparent about why a company might be a moral investment versus another one. He leaves it up to you so that you can make informed decisions. He's not just going to say, oh, this one's moral, this one's not. He'll give all of the reasons in the research that he's done with links to articles or whatever it may be, so that you can make the most informed decisions on your own investment portfolios. Because as Catholics, we have a duty to uphold Catholic values, and the same goes with our investments. So we want to be as virtuous as we can be, and Christ-centered capital is really invaluable. It's only $7 a month for you to go and sign up to get all of his recommendations and all of his research. To me, it's a no-brainer. If you're an investor and you want more information, go to ChristCenteredCapital.com and make sure to use promo code TCMS. 2022 for one month of free access, no obligation. That's TCMS, The Catholic Man Show. TCMS 2022. <laughs> Welcome back to Catholic Man Show. Here with Father Gregory Pine talking all things prudence. His new book, Prudence. And then a subtitle about being bold. And live live boldly. <laughs> Something. Live boldly. Sumatran choose confidently. Bold. Nailed it. Choose confidently. Live boldly. There it is. Oh, yeah. Boom. Right there. There you go. You can buy it now. Become holier for just under $16. <laughs> is it under $16? See. I think it is, actually. It's 10% off on Amazon right now. Is, it, do you, is there a guarantee? Because I'll buy it like 100 times. I mean, um... I think I asked Adam for your uh, address so that I could send you a free copy. If you haven't yet, do yes. send it to me because that's that's part of the deal. Thank you. Yes. That's why, that's I, that's why oh, yeah. we get into the podcast. Biz. I do. <laughs> I like free holiness. That's my favorite kind, actually. <laughs> okay, so before the break, yep. sorry, Father, we had, uh, had to cut you off with the uh, 
uh, time is, a, is the enemy when it comes to radio, but um, you were in the mm. middle of your story about whether or not you're going to shower. And I was like, I don't know. Are you on Exodus 90 or not? Yeah, because I'll bet Exodus 90 is rough in Switzerland. I'll bet <laughs> nobody does it there. <laughs> it is way too cold. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we were talking about like treating your whole life as bearing moral meaning. And then the question would be then how to know how much you ought to think. And I think that once you see your life as meaningful, those bigger decisions kind of assert themselves and those smaller decisions take their proper place. So when like we're able to take them all within the broad sweep of a life, which is directed toward the Lord, um, where we are you know, seeking to pursue him by the modest means that are at our disposal, praying, making good use of the sacraments, you know, cultivating good Christian friendships, introducing a little bit of penance in our lives, especially penances which are foisted upon us by the failure of a hot water heater, um, studying the faith, serving the material poor, things like that, right? Then our lives begin to make more sense of us, or we, a little bit, our lives begin to make more sense insofar as like our desire is interpreted in a certain sense by our experience. So, Practically speaking, Father Gregory, speak clearly. I know you're capable of it. You do it at least once every three years, so make it now. Um, I think that <clears throat> when it comes to, let's say, let's let's do three quick choices. Do I got, do I buy a dog? Okay. Um, do I move or do I change jobs? All right. So you see, there's a range of important things. Um, when it comes to like getting a dog, I think. I mean, you don't have anybody in your house who's allergic to it. You've been looking forward to having a dog. Like, you, I mean, there's a kind of sense where you can say, yeah, just just, just get the dog, you know, just get the dog. Would it be tragic if in a few months you realize you really can't handle this thing and you have to like give it back to the pet store? I suppose so. Yeah, but it's just, it's a dog. Um, I'm allergic to dogs, so I can speak about these types of things with a kind of reckless abandon because it'll never affect me. Um, but then when it comes to a bigger thing like, you know, selling your house or moving to a new home or taking a new job, you're thinking about the sustenance of your family. You're thinking about um, your network as a human. You're thinking about your friendships. You're thinking about, I don't know, like how your kids are going to grow up and be raised and what schools they're going to be in and stuff like that, unless they're homeschooled and then you can do that wherever. And in, in those cases, I think the kind of significance or the gravity of it is something that you can sit with longer on account of the fact that it's, it's part of a bigger timeline. And so, yeah. It's the type of thing where you don't have to be in as much of a rush. And I'm going to stop talking now because I keep doing these like long disquisitions and you're like 12 minute segments, chief, 12 minutes. <laughs> no, no, no I think that's good. very good. No, no, no. In your mind, is there a correlation, a relationship between tradition and prudence? Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, for sure. I, I think that there's a certain sense in which we are more free when we recognize the ways in which we are not free. Or we're more free when we recognize the way in which our freedom is framed for us. Um, so, for instance, I am the son of Barry and Regina Pine, which means that, you know, two people fell in love. They got married. They had kids. They had me. And then they programmed, they programmed me with all of their strengths and all of their weaknesses. You know, they, they tried their best to, like, break up some intergenerational sin and some whatever problems that they recognized in their relationship, which they didn't want visited on us kids. But like they're human beings, forming human beings who are weak and wounded um, or they're weak and wounded, we're weak and wounded. And as a result of which, it's going to propagate to a certain extent. So I need to like just be honest about that when it comes to living my life, because if I'm not, then I'm either always going to be like 
vaguely deterministic about it, like, oh, I'm just bound to repeat the sins of the past, or I'm going to be kind of reactionary against it. Like, I don't want to be that way, the way that my parents were. It's like, I mean, who cares in a certain sense? Like, this is the hand that you've been dealt. It's for us to play it. Might you improve upon it in small ways? Sure. But ultimately, it's for you to play it, not for you to turn the hand back in and say, like, more cards, different cards, whatever cards. Um, so I think that tradition is a broad way in which to refer to all of the choices that have gone before us, the democracy of the dead, which has been brought to bear on our lives, and that we ratify, basically, by saying of our human life, this is good, right? And saying of our human life, this is real. This is my real life. And my real life isn't elsewhere. And as a result of which, I need to affirm the fact that my real life is here and now, and that my happiness is to be found in and through this, rather than by going you know, around or under or over. And so tradition, a handing on and a receiving is an integral part of shaping of our freedom so that we are, you know, able to know ourselves, accept ourselves, and, and then eventually transcend ourselves, which isn't to say become something other than we are, but to, uh, to take a famous line, become a better version of ourselves. Nice. Okay. So the church seems to teach, uh, you know, it goes like God and then creation and then Christ and then sacraments and then uh, the good life. Um, I may be missing some in the middle there, but that's kind of the bullet point. It's, but it seems like that in order, like in today's world, because we don't understand happiness, we don't understand really what happiness really is, that we can go through all that and they still don't get to the very end. They don't get to the end and realize this is what I'm made for. Have you noticed yeah. that if you start with, um, do you want to be happy? That actually is more effective than starting with there is a God um, you know, and he created you and then Christ and then sacraments. And then does that make sense? Is that a, do you understand my question? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah I, so I think I sent you a digital, did I send you a digital review copy? I think I did. Or maybe like the most recent manuscript edits. I'm a bad man. I am a bad, <laughs> bad man. I'll send you immediately upon the termination of this call. Um, so the, the book is divided into eight chapters and the first chapter is called, am I happy? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan. A good of question, Adam. Yeah. 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 yeah, you nailed it. That slaps. Um, and then the the next uh, the next chapter is called "Am I Able?" So the first one is about the end, and then the next one is about the means. And I basically propose like, uh, well, Christ, the Church, the sacraments, grace, virtue, gifts of the Holy Spirit, all within the broad sweep of creation and redemption as the means that God supplies for us to attain to our ends, to flourish as human beings, to be happy. Um, all the while not instrumentalizing God because God can't be instrumentalized. So I think that for, you know, okay, this is just my personal take on things. I think that it's very boring to answer a question that another human being hasn't asked. So if like I'm toddling down the road and I see somebody who looks at me and they're like, what's up with that weird dude wearing a weird dress, just looking tall and haggard and hungry. And then I just <laughs> launch into an extended disquisition about the redemption. They'd be like, no, no, no. I was actually just wondering about why you look like a wizard. I'm like, ah, yes, okay, I should have started there. So when, when somebody's posed a question, they're ready to receive an answer. But if somebody hasn't really posed a question, I don't think that they're typically ready to receive an answer. Should that keep us from proclaiming Christ and him crucified? No, but I think it should shape the way in which we profess and the way in which we, you know, testify to Christ and him crucified. And so I think it's good to get people in touch with what they actually want. Uh, because I think that a lot of our culture has forgotten or has anesthetized itself 
or has despaired of the prospect. And I think that by saying like, you can be happy, it is possible to be happy. People are like, oh, you know, what are you, what are you doing? I had gotten gotten used to the status quo. I had gotten used to the fact that I can be like almost happy, provided only that I watch enough NBA basketball between seven and like 11.30 PM. Um, so I think, yes, I think that the, the happiness question is a huge one to pose and a good one to pose at the beginning. Okay, but then, but then the important thing is to understand what happiness truly is, because I think in the secular world, the idea, like you said, of, of what happiness is versus what the good life is that the church is uh, proclaiming are two different things. Correct. I feel another break coming on, so I'm going to do short. Um, yeah, we got two minutes. Yeah. Boom. Such good feelings. <laughs> um, so, yeah, basic idea there is, I mean, people define happiness and joy and felicity and delight on all kinds of different ways. I think a basic thing to have in mind is that, that what we're about is pursuing what's real, what's good, what's substantial, what actually perfects us as human beings. Like we want, we want red meat. Um, apologies to all vegan listeners for whom this analogy they don't has. They no don't listen to this show. Don't even do that. Don't, uh, don't right. apologize. Yeah. Okay, great point. Yeah. All right, so it's good smoked meat. Um, and then if you can direct people's attention to that, then I think it frames the whole, like the whole consideration of happiness. Basically, we can map two features of happiness, this kind of like meaning piece and then this pleasure piece. And I think a lot of people just go for the pleasure piece and then they find that it's somewhat empty. But if they go for the meaning piece, they eventually come to discover that, that the pleasure piece is attendant thereupon. Like you're, you guys are both fathers. If you were going for pleasure, you would not have kids because kids are unpleasant for many years. But then as you're old, you know, and like sitting on your rocking chair and thinking about your life as it has passed before your eyes, you're like, I'm really glad I had kids. That in a nutshell. So you think yeah. that is actually going to happen one day? They will be. <laughs> we will. We will get there. Because right now Maybe, I just feel yeah. like we're just like drowning over here. And then you hand me a baby while I'm drowning. Okay, that's <laughs> What's it like to have four kids? Well, imagine you're drowning. Yeah. And then someone hands you a baby. <laughs> <laughs> that's jim gaffigan we can't yeah. take credit for that joke yeah okay so we're here we're talking with father gregory pine and go check out his new book prudence choose wisely live boldly yes by the end of this segment you, but for less than 16 dollars for less than 16 dollars you can <laughs> possibly be probably aware. depending on shipping yes go check it out we'll be right back <laughs> but by the end we're gonna nail this book title yeah, or we may give it a new one. Time. Less than sixteen dollars. Yeah, no, that's, that's part of the sub. That's part of the subtitle. Yeah, I think less so. than sixteen dollars. <laughs> Bulk pricing five dollars. Yeah. I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> Put that in the subtitle yeah, for like less Matthew than sixteen dollars. You buy five thousand. They're sixteen cents. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> It'd be funny though if that was in the subtitle. It's like for less than sixteen dollars. Price eighteen ninety nine. <laughs> 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 It is 1529. Uh, 1529. 15, That's what it says in Amazon that I look up. On so, Amazon. Wow. That is impressive. 1529. Yeah. It okay. was like 16 something and then it became 10% off for some algorithmic reason that makes no sense to me, but uh, it pleases me. So if you're prudent, it'll be less than $16. Exactly. If you know how to shop. If you act quickly. Act decisively. Um, have you seen the movie Heavyweights? I have not. It's like kids go to a fat camp. Ben Stiller is like the fat camp coach. Tony oh, Perkis. I haven't seen it, but I've, I know what you're talking about. Yes. Okay. It's, it, it delivers some classic lines. But it has um, the kid from the Mighty Ducks who plays goalie, if you remember Goldberg. 
Yes. Yeah. He's in the movie. Of course, I remember Goldberg. Okay, 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 okay. The Flying V. He delivers one of the more iconic lines of film that I've ever heard. Um, so, like, Keenan Thompson is in that movie, and he comes up to him, and he's like, hey, the new nurse, you know, just onboarded, and she is very attractive. And Goldberg just takes a moment, and he goes, this pleases me. <laughs> <laughs> You know, sometimes in the long, lonely hours of the night, you know, I'm like asking Jesus, you know, like, what have you made me for? And then I think of Goldberg, is just like, this pleases me. I'm like, all right, I can, I cool. can make it another day. This pleases me. <laughs> all right, well, let's keep rolling. I like that line. I'm going to add that to my repertoire. There's this, wait, before you get started, I want to tell you this other line, because it's just kind of in the same vein. I have read the books, uh, the Little House series to my girls. Um, and there's this one scene where Laura Ingalls, she's like in a far away, you know, like 10 miles away. And this guy, he's like, he's been picking her up on the weekends. He's kind of courting her. But this is in South Dakota. And this particular day, it was minus like 40 degrees. And he's trying to decide, like, do I go out? Because if my horses freeze, I'm going to die, you know. And he's sitting there staring at the only thermometer in town, and it says minus 40, because that's as low as it went. It didn't read lower than that. And he's sitting there staring at it, decide, trying to decide what to do. And one of his buddies sees him, and he just yells, God hates a coward! And, like, walks away. And so, like, later on... <laughs> so he does. He goes and picks up Laura Ingalls, comes back. And later on, he's telling this story to Laura. And she says, you came and picked me up that day on a dare? And he said, no. I just figured he was right. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that line. They're like, God hates a coward. No, I just figured he was right. <laughs> so I came. <laughs> uh, I'm going to get started and then I'm going to go. Okay. okay. Very good. Thanks, Juan. More than 60,000 men from around the world have journeyed through Exodus 90 together with their brothers. Priests, bishops, singled men, married men, Catholics, non-Catholics alike. One of the things we love receiving are emails from guys who signed up to do Exodus 90 through the Catholic Command Show and let us know how much freedom they've experienced once they go through the program. And it makes sense, right? Here's how it works. And these are the things that we talk about all the time on the Catholic Command Show, which is why we love promoting Exodus 90. They have three pillars, the, a pillar of prayer, a pillar of asceticism, and a, a pillar of fraternity. And through those three pillars, they help men grow closer to Christ, to their spouse, to their children, and to their friends. Closer to that man that God has called them to be. So go check out Exodus 90. They have Exodus 90 Lent as well. It's exodus90.com slash TCMS for the Catholic Mantra. TCMS. Thank you to Exodus 90 for being a sponsor of the Catholic Mantra. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles here with Adam Minahan, talking to F Father Gregory Pine, Dominican extraordinaire. I'm pretty sure that's an official title. I think I've heard him call himself a Thomistic hack before as well. Hmm. So you can go with. You just take one or take two. Your, sort of like your a, choice. Like a hacker. Um, Dominican extraordinaire, Thomistic hack. If you were to make that an acronym and put it at the end of my name, it would spell death. So that's nice. 
<laughs> there it is. <laughs> I got that going for me. <laughs> Memento Mori Padre. <laughs> okay, so we're still talking about prudence. Mm-hmm. If we were prudent, we would have figured this out a long time ago. We would have. Mm. But uh, here we are. So as, like, if I think about some of the other virtues, uh, honesty. I know how to grow in honesty. I Stop tell, lying. I tell the truth, okay? As I mm. get tell the truth more, as I get better at telling the truth, more comfortable with it, I develop this habit. How, practically speaking, do I grow? It's like, all right, today I'm going to go be prudent. Like, what do I do to do that? <laughs> yeah. Um, so lots of things. I will now list a couple. Um, okay. But I think it, it, it depends on it depends on you in a certain sense. I feel like I've said a certain sense seven times in this episode, so I'll never say it again until perfect I perfect number. <clears throat> in a certain um, sense, that is a perfect number. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so, for instance, let's say that you are indecisive. Let's say that the prospect of making even small decisions overwhelms you. You might challenge yourself to be more decisive, perhaps by setting a time limit for. Mm certain less difficult choices. Like let's say when you have your first thought of whether or not you should get a haircut, the thought of getting a haircut returns to you for the next two weeks, every three hours. And you spend at least 17 seconds musing on the prospect of whether you should get your haircut. Mm. Let's say that you challenge yourself at the first thought of getting a haircut to set a date and put it in your calendar and then just get a haircut. So that way, you don't spend time spinning your wheels thinking about haircutting. Okay, let's say that you swing the other direction. You tend to be precipitous, which is to say you make decisions somewhat rashly and you come to discover that uh, it wasn't the best thing to have done in the circumstances. Maybe you challenge yourself to take counsel with one or two trusted advisors when you recognize that a decision could have financial consequences. All right, so you were thinking about sports betting and you saw this new app that gives you, you know, seven super advantageous bets to start with, and you're sorely tempted. But you also realize that given your personality, this might not end well. So you take it up with, you know, Dave and Adam before you do so. Um, so those would be like, all right, correctives when it comes to making decisions. Another thing too might be to like make a decision journal. Whenever people talk about journaling, I think probably half of the individuals in the room rolled their eyes. They're like, oh, sweet Christmas. I didn't go to Steubenville. Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> I did go to Steubenville, though, so I'm going to do it to you. <clears throat> I think one of, one of the reasons for which we aren't too terribly good at making decisions is that we're forgetful. Remember, one of the integral parts of prudence is memory. And that's not just like, you know, do you have lots of memories? It means, do you have an orderly way of returning to your memories? And do those memories shape you as a human being in a way that's coherent? So... For instance, let's say that I have like a stomach problem and there are certain foods that hurt me, but I'm also not very assertive. And so when I eat with other people and they suggest things, uh, they're like, what about this like lactose bomb covered in habanero pepper? I'm always just like, yeah, that'll be great. I'd, I'd love that. All right. Well, you need to remember what it was like the last time as your insides were being churned to smithereens in order for you to, in this moment, assert yourself more bravely. And part of it could be keeping a little decision journal where you revisit decisions after a week and after a month just to say, okay, 
let me kind of ingrain this more deeply in my mind so that way I act out of that memory with greater stability, with greater ease. Another thing, too, is literature. Reading good literature is a way in which to experience a moral universe which goes beyond the bounds of our current imagining. Because I think a lot of the times we think that it's just this or that, and this isn't that good, and that might be that it might not be that great either. And we begin to think of ourselves as living a life that's scripted and scripted in a boring way or scripted in a kind of fatally flawed way or something like that. And I think that literature affords us a moral horizon which um, brings some of the, the drama back into human life or brings some of the excitement back into human life because we experience something vicariously and we suffer that experience, not in like a negative sense of suffer, but we experience that experience in a way that's humanizing. So those are some thoughts that come to mind. I really like that. Those are like very practical. I don't know like where I struggle in the game of prudence, maybe because I <laughs> lack self-reflection. I'm not sure, but <laughs> but I could see, I was like, saying, yeah, if I had that problem, that would probably fix it. <laughs> but okay, so that's kind of like, so we've, so does that mean though that if you uh, lose your memory or if you're, you become forgetful in older age or something like that, then that you start lacking in prudence? Hmm. So St. Thomas asks just this question. Uh, the I, word I hate when he rips is, me off. I hate when he rips me <laughs> off. He does that all the time. It's ridiculous. Yes. St. Thomas the time traveler, you know that he's hanging out in back episodes of the Catholic Mansion of the <laughs> yeah. for the 13th century. He's like, oh, yeah. You won't even see it coming. <laughs> so because of prudence's relationship to our appetites and specifically to the moral virtues, Prudence has actually a way of inscribing reasonable decision-making into our very bodies, right? It inscribes it into our hearts, into our emotions, into our sentiments, into our tendencies and inclinations. So that way we have a kind of knack for our humanity and we have a knack for the humanity of others. Mm -hmm. And even if, you know, we begin to lose our minds, we can still, yeah, conduct our lives with a modicum of excellence. Will they be as good or, you know, like as uh, orderly as they may have been previously before we began to lose our minds? Probably not on account of the fact that it's frustrating to lose your mind and that might cause further complications. But, you know, you've, you've experienced people who suffer with dementia uh, who are perpetually frustrated by the experience and kind of shut down as a result. And then you probably have experienced other people who are kind of more abandoned to the experience. But I think that in both, you still see remnants of what was before because the way in which a person lives is what would you say is so deep right it's it kind of it plows these furrows in the human heart such that you begin to observe a certain track or a certain trajectory so it's ingrained basically it's ingrained in them yep that is not what i thought you were going to say but i like i like that answer i thought you were going to say yeah yeah if you lose your mind you start to get less prudent because you see like old people falling for you know like phone they get a voicemail saying you need to send me a thousand dollars and then they do it. And yeah, but that's, but it's true that they still maintain this like uh, standard of behavior that's significantly more virtuous than, you know, like uh, a young person, like my younger self. And they don't even really know why they just keep doing it because like they have these habits. So yeah. um, it seems like it seems that, Prudence is always oriented towards action. Is this true? This is true. Even if that action is doing nothing? 
correct? Because sometimes I could I could come up with a situation where the the thing to do is nothing. I won't try to do it because you can imagine it yourself. I can. Okay. So if it's oriented towards action, then the things let me think about my question for a little okay. bit. <laughs> okay. I was gonna try to I was Yeah. Gonna, so here just a second. Okay, so let me ask you this. Where where does mortification come in with prudence? Like uh so I want to talk about like the rest of the negative aspect of prudence, but then the like the positive project of prudence, like why are we going like what's the positive aspects of prudence? Um yeah. but in insofar as what is the where does mortification come in to living a life prudently? So Aristotle has this go-to line. He says, as the man is, so he sees. And the basic idea is, as your virtuous appetites are formed, so you will perceive of reality. So if you are very temperate, if you're very brave, if you're very just, then you're, you're better inclined to see reality in a way that's true to form. And so comport yourself within that reality in a virtuous manner. All right? And so mortification... To, you know, like mortifare, it's to, to kind of bear a kind of death upon your appetites because appetites have a tendency to be overindulgent. Um, and those desires of the human heart, which are most instinctual because they're most connected to the perpetuation of our individual lives and then our lives as a species, are food, drink, and sexual intercourse. So usually mortification targets those desires and it might branch out from, those, the, base, from the base of those desires. But the point ultimately of mortification is to grow in moral virtue, because when you grow in moral virtue, it actually clarifies your sight. Because when you're constantly stirred up by passion, your sight is obscured, your sight is clouded on account of the fact that those desires assert themselves so forcefully or so vehemently. And also they assert themselves so disorderly or chaotically that you can't actually make sense of the moral reality before you. And, and so you can't choose in a way that best conduces to happiness. So I think mortification has that you know, kind of role in our lives. Going back to what Dave was saying with respect to choosing not to do something, um, like it's about agency, it's about the perfection of agency. So it's about you as a human being, being the protagonist of your life. So you can think about the movie, A Hidden Life, the Terrence Malick film about Blessed Franz Jägerstater. So what movie. does he do? You know, from a kind of outward perspective, he doesn't do anything, right? It's kind of done to him. But it's very evident in watching that movie that it's a movie about him. It's about his love for the Lord, love for his wife, love for his girls. Um, and that's a love which, you know, fills the entirety of a three-hour show or a three-hour movie in which he himself doesn't do anything in the kind of Marvel Universe sense of do anything. And I think that is, you know, part and parcel of what it means to be prudent. Okay, so we're running out of time on the radio if you're listening to this on Catholic Radio or Country Radio in Texas. Go to thecatholicmanshow.com and check out the, the remaining episode. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. And cheers to Jesus. Okay, so I wanted to keep going there just on the fact of the positive project. of Because uh, we kind of talked, we, we could kind of hit on like the happy life. Like, are you happy in that, in that aspect? But um, prudence, prudence helps see the truth in reality as it really is. And, and, then you're able to, uh, you can judge all actions according to, you know, whether they're good or bad according to their end. And so, and, and also like what we're made for in our end. So prudence helps us to see what our end is, namely 
God. Um, so in order to have, you know, in order to see that clearly, you would have to have prudence, correct? Is this a good line of reason or line of logic or thought process? <clears throat> Stream of consciousness? Yeah. I don't know. I, th I think that like <laughs> the, the end is not something that you need to invent, right? The end is something that's already present. It goes before you. Uh, so Joseph Pieper in this essay that he wrote with this guy named like, I don't remember his name, but it's like Franz Horoskov or something like that. He says, we're like arrows that have already been shot towards the target. So we've already been launched towards our end and our desires are conducting us towards that, that end. And prudence is, is like in mid flight. Prudence is making sense of the trajectory and it's trying actually to sort it out because we realize that we have, you know, deep, deep, uh, what would you say? Very, very powerful desires for many things, but we don't always realize how those are connected or how those ultimately contribute to our flourishing. So part of the work of prudence is sorting that out. Okay. So, um, prudence is sort of like charity in that, you know, it's this overarching thing. Um, so, you know, prudence is involved in everything. Does that also make it hard to identify like in and of itself, okay, when I, I'm going to use honesty again, when I tell the truth, boom, I can say that was the virtue of honesty. It seems like prudence, when, when does it ever show up? It's kind of always there and never there specifically. Is that, am I thinking about that right, the right way? Yeah, it's, it's always there in a kind of formal way. So let's say, you know, charity is a good example for a comparison. Let's say that you choose to fast. Right, so you're exercising the virtue of infused temperance because you're limiting food or drink, um, but it's also informed by charity, which gives it its its kind of final shape because it's something that you do for the love of God and neighbor. Uh, maybe you're offering up your fasting for the conversion of your mother-in-law or something like that. Um, now, when it comes to prudence, prudence is like this in that it's always present in virtuous action so it's always present in the exercise of virtuous agency. So if you're acting out of your practical intellect, which means if you're knowing something for the sake of doing something, then prudence is operative. But prudence, charioteer of the virtues, is often marshalling the lower virtues of the appetite because mm -hmm. those provide the energy which actually conduct us to whatever the desired end is that is pursued in the pertinent action. Dig. Okay. I like that. So are you happy? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good question. I would say my, like basically my work. I think it's hilarious that you're struggling is, just to hear that. You're struggling to answer that. You're like, yeah, well. Oh, it's, it's impossible. It's impo I think it's actually really hard in the West to answer this question because when you say yes to that, like those, you know, who are listening in assume you to be naive or like you haven't like reflected sufficiently upon the question. Um, or you're just like a lunk that is satisfied by like low grade experiences. So I want to say yes, but I qualify the yes first because for me, happiness in large part is a matter of fit. It's not a matter of, you know, maximizing positive emotions and minimizing negative emotions. I experience lots of both. Uh, but I do have a very distinct sense that like the Lord in his infinite mercy for me has made known something of his plans for my life and has given me the grace to proceed along the course of those plans in some small ways. So I have a sense of fit. Like 
you know, if I had a thousand lives to live, I think I would live every single one of my lives as a Dominican friar uh, and as a priest of Jesus Christ, because I find the life to be very beautiful. I find the life to be very good. And while like this weekend was an absolute liturgical goat rodeo, this weekend I had I, had, I don't uh, know what that is. I don't either, but it sounds <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. Well, think about a rodeo with goats, and it was like that. So I had an extra. I had an ex mass like on and like a, a neighboring city at eight thirty in the morning, and then I took a train and then I walked from there. I chose to do this because I was like, I should get in a good hike, but I don't have time to go to the mountains. So I walked back from this city to the other city, which is like 20 kilometers. I did it to myself. I recorded a podcast at 3 p.m. I got home at 2.59. That lasted until like 4.32. I quickly took a shower and then I got online for giving a talk to my parents' parish in Newtown, Pennsylvania later that evening. And then the doorbell rang two minutes after that thing finished for like somebody came to pick me up for a vigil mass. And then I hung out with a sweet family in Freeburg. And then the next day I had back-to-back masses plus two confession sessions and stations of the cross. And then like a meal and a conference with like a bunch of awesome people in this other city. And like, by the time I got home and just dragged my desiccated corpse of a body into my cell, I was like, what, what, what is wrong with you? But I would do it again. I would absolutely do it again because, you know, it's like for this, I've come into the world to be like a very, very tall, tired man. Um, so I think in that sense, I am happy. Do I live a somewhat unbalanced life? Yeah. Could I, could I do this life thing better? Absolutely. No doubt about it. <laughs> but it's good. You know, I have a very, I have a deep conviction that it's good. So that's my complicated answer to a simple question that I should have been able to answer simply. I now know what a goat rodeo is. I think (laughs) if somebody asked me if I was happy, I would just say, yeah, I am. And it's like, I, I, and if they accused me of like, oh, you lack self-reflection. It was like, well, you're an idiot. So how about that? (laughs) Like, what what do you want me to reflect on it until I'm like, like I'm drowning in sorrow? How about you just leave me alone? (laughs) Let me be happy. And you go back to your sucky life and I'll go over here and like, keep being happy. You moron. (laughs) Dude, savage. I need all, more Oklahoma in my life. <laughs> in all charity. Yeah, I mean that in all, like, in the best possible way, you know? Instructing the ignorant. No, if you say no offense, but at the beginning, then it's totally fine. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's totally fine. It's, it's in, here no in offense, Oklahoma. But I, I hate you. Yeah. Sometimes oh. we might say, well, it's really more ladies, but they might say, bless his heart. But yeah. blah blah, you know that's really though when you're talking about somebody, not to somebody, but they're sort of synonymous <laughs> in their meaning. It means that like this guy's the worst. Bless his heart, he's <laughs> just the worst. I'm, I'm coming for you. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, Dave, you have any other questions? No. Uh. Uh-uh. Okay. Any other last thoughts? Any other last thoughts? Um. No, I mean, God bless America. Mm -hmm. Switzerland has given me a deeper appreciation for the great land from which we hail, in which we live in ordinary circumstances. And uh, yeah, I I think it's, I think there's something about America and the promotion of the life of virtue. I mean, like a lot of people focus in the present day and age about how the world has gone crazy and how America is in many senses at the forefront of the going crazy process. Mm. Um, But yeah, I think it's, I think it's still possible to be happy. And to live a virtuous life in the United States. I mean, it's true of other places, but I feel that to be especially true in the U.S. It's a great country, man. I love mm-hmm. the U.S. I just agree. talking to you. Big it just fan. reminds me of how good it is. I do have one more question for you. I do, too. This is, yeah. I have one more. Can I go first? You may. Thank you. How have you survived on the Eucharist and one dill pickle all through Lent? <laughs> 
How is that? Memes, man. That was the hilarious. internet is such a wild place. That was hilarious. <laughs> that was hilarious. So there was yeah. a meme. That, that, there's this meme that, that like it was like two shots of, of uh, Father Pine, and he and they said something about how they were struggling with Lent. And he's like, whatever. I have only had the Eucharist and one dill pickle all of Lent. <laughs> It's like, and I'm still full. Okay. It's like, where did that come from? I bet you got just. I bet your email got blown up when when that that came out. I because I sent it to you. I don't know. You did send it to me. A few people sent it to me. I kind of live under a rock. Um. So I'm not the I'm not the best at communication of any sort. But yeah, a few people were like, "Bruv, you've been memed." And I was like, "Oh, the Lord hath blessed." (laughs) So my last question. Um, you know, thinking about the subtitle of your book, it seems that you might be under the belief that most people, if they're going to err in prudence, it's on the lack of action side that maybe we're over paral- over analyzed. That's not a word, but I think you get it. Uh, Sounds good. So is that true? You think you think we need to be act more quickly, like the Joan of Arc, act and God will act. Kind rely of thing. on instinct, maybe even. Yeah, I think um, trust God and trust yourself. That's maybe how I would sum it up. I think that um, part of the work that you do, part of the work that I do, should be encouraging a culture of, what would you say, a culture of confidence in the sense that God has given us what we need to flourish. God is not, what, non-forthcoming God is not sparing. God is not miserly in the gifts that he gives. God is abundant. God is generous. And um, yeah, we have to consent to and cooperate with that. And it's a work in progress, but he gives us a whole life. He gives us a whole human life. And it's said of human life that it's a life on the way or it's a life of a pilgrim. So it's rough, you know, it's like for us to undertake the journey and to do so with a kind of spirit of, what would you say, a kind of abandon with the recognition that, you know, Good things will happen, bad things will happen, but ultimately all of it can conduce to the good because God makes all things, you know, redound to the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And um, yeah, it takes it takes a while to grow in that confidence, to grow in that boldness, as the subtitle refers to. But I think it's a worthy pursuit, even if we go about it in a way that looks like a dumpster fire, like kind of rolling uphill. Uh, so yeah, go for it. All right. Cool. I like it. Father, thank you so much for being with us. It's always fun to hang out with you. Uh, I look, I look forward me. to Easter when you can have another dill pickle yes. um, or something else. You're, I'll let you choose. <laughs> you know, <laughs> choose wisely. Yes, yeah. choose wisely. <laughs> I, I shall choose wisely, and I probably won't choose a dill pickle. <laughs> bread, personally, bread and butter is really where it's at, I think, in the pickle wow. game. Uh, but I like okay. Dill. Just saying. Incredible. Look yeah. at you, just with your heartland values. Just encouraging kind of simple <laughs> just salt of the earth. Heartland. I love that. Yeah. You know, you're not you're not recommending pate to foie gras over there. You, you're not recommending the most no. recent cocktail that they're mixing in Manhattan bars. You're like, give me bread and butter. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> in anticipation. Now that's a pickle you can feast with right there. <laughs> Hi, this is Bishop David Condorla of the Diocese of Tulsa in Oklahoma. So let us pray. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, 
that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired with this confidence, I fly to thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen.